If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Story time. Earlier this year in March, I was in my work van driving. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. From Morninglid to Little Hampton, West Sussex, to start my deliveries. It was early morning around 5 a.m., still pitch black, but weather was clear. I was driving southbound on the A24 and had just passed the southern tip of the village of Ashington, soon to be approaching the Storrington roundabout. On my left-hand side there is a section of grass that runs for a few hundred feet and is about six feet wide or so before it becomes a huge thicket of brambles. I saw a creature that I can only describe as cardboard box color, it was about four feet tall but down on its haunches to where its heels were touching its butt, it was facing diagonally away from me into the base of the bushes so I saw its back and left side of its body more so than anything else. Its spine was showing and also ribs but not to the extreme and it had small round ears that were in the location of a human's but shaped in a similar way, as to what a black bear's are. It had a tail that rose up into a subtle S shape, 
was very skinny and seemed to be hairless like the rest of the animal. The face from what I could see had a muzzle but not extremely pronounced and it seemed to be tracking something in the grass, my guess would be some kind of rodent, its head movements were very digital and all over the place and it jumped like how a fox would when pouncing but in doing so I saw the soles of the feet which I remember extremely clearly as they looked like ours. But given the hours that I'm awake, and the fact I'm a proper country boy, I see multiple foxes on a daily, this was as far from a fox as a monkey is. It was nothing I had ever seen before in person, on telly, internet or in books. The duration lasted about 5 seconds and as soon as I saw it, I had shivers all over my body and I literally said out loud what the F was that. I couldn't believe my eyes, I got to the roundabout probably 30 seconds later and doubled back on myself to get back into the same road again in hopes I could get a second glimpse but I wasn't lucky. The thing about it all that was almost stranger than the sighting itself was that I had such a strong feeling of shame that came over me, I felt so shameful in seeing it and have no idea why. I remember being in tears because of it and I don't fully understand why but I felt like I had no business seeing it and if I had a regular job that never required me to be up so early then I never would have. Still no idea what it was, if anyone has seen anything similar please share or has any insight I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Good afternoon. I am an Orthodox priest from Russia. In 2021, in the Crimea and the mountains above Yalta, I personally saw Bigfoot. It was attracted by the sound of the whistle on which I played in the Uchkosh tract. Bigfoot went out to a rock located opposite the west of me. I was on the east side of the gorge. There were about 300 meters between us. It looked tall, strikingly taller than a man, massive body and shoulders, long arms, and long legs. While I took out the camera to photograph him, he went up the slope, with huge steps of about 2 meters approximately. When I photographed the place where he was, all the pictures were overexposed, and my Canon EOS 5 Mark II let me down for the first time. Such is the short story of my second and such a bright meeting with Bigfoot. My friend worked as a trail ranger at a large national park. A trail ranger is basically a ranger, only with considerably less judicial power. He can't arrest you or anything, but if you're in an illegal blind or hunting stand, he had the power to call in actual cops before ripping down whatever unlicensed hide you've constructed. So this one time, he's accompanying an actual forest ranger and taking down unauthorized hunting cameras and feeders. The actual ranger was an older guy who started to feel unwell towards the early afternoon, so he headed back on his own, it was like an hour's ride on an ATV, and left my buddy to finish up. Just as he was almost done, my friend starts to hear voices coming through the trees. It's important to keep in mind that he was way, way off the beaten path at this point, so it's not like he expected there to be anyone around but it occurs to him that these might be the people putting up the illegal cameras and blinds in the first place. He calls out to them, demanding to know who they are, but the voices just go quiet and there's not a sound to be heard other than the occasional birdsong. It's also starting to get dark by that time, 
so he starts heading back towards the trail where his ATV is parked. When he finds it and tries to start it up, it won't budge. That's when he noticed that the ATV battery has been torn out and taken by someone, not some prank by the older ranger, someone has actually disabled his means of escape. The way he tells it, this obviously made him extremely nervous, especially since he'd already heard voices in the area. He radios back into the ranger station he's based at, basically telling them that he needed someone to come pick him up. They reply they'll have someone out to him within an hour, but when he asks about the older ranger, they tell him he hasn't arrived back yet. Again, this made him really nervous since the ranger should have easily arrived back by that point. He settled down and started a small fire as the sun went down, but before long he heard those same voices again. They're not happy, at all. He said it sounded like they were in the middle of a vicious argument, with one guy angry and yelling while the other sounded frightened and apologetic. He listens for a minute or two before calling out into the darkness, asking if anyone needed help. The way he tells it, they must have heard him. He could hear them, so they must have heard them in return. But they didn't react, like they were too absorbed with their disagreement to answer him. My friend then radios back into the ranger station for a progress report. They replied saying they were having a little trouble finding the trail he was on, but that they wouldn't be much longer. The older ranger however, still hadn't arrived back at the station. About 5 or 10 more minutes go by when my trail ranger friend begins to hear the same angry voices start up again. He decides to walk towards them hoping maybe he can prevent a potential assault and maybe even get his hands on some food and water. He walked in their direction but the voices seemed to be getting further away, no matter how much he tried to close in on them. Finally, after like 20 minutes of walking, he gave up and hiked back to his fire. It's about then that he got a radio call and they said the older ranger guy has been found passed out covered in vomit, having fallen off his ATV. He was being taken to the hospital and that had taken priority over finding my friend. I mean that's understandable, but my friend is getting kind of frustrated at this point, he's out in the woods, on his own, and it's getting real chilly out. Then the voices came back. He's pretty bored at this point, and he's convinced these guys don't want any company. So he said he just sat there in the darkness, listening to them argue over something. He's picking up little phrases here and there when the voices begin to shout. Things like well it wasn't yours to take or I don't care, it's mine goddammit, stuff like that. He says he assumed it was two hunters, maybe arguing over a kill, but there was a good chance they were blaming each other for the missing equipment that my friend and the ranger had confiscated. He heard the argument get louder, as one of the hunters shouted something unintelligible. Then, out of nowhere. Bang! A single gunshot echoes through the woods. He immediately doused his fire, ran a couple hundred meters into the trees, then hid in a thicket. He said he waited there for as long as he could stand it, hearing absolutely nothing but his own heavy breathing until he saw the lights of an ATV. He told the guy picking him up everything that had happened and they called it into the ranger station. They had people looking for three hours out there, but not a single thing was found by any of the rangers. They came back the next day with state police and tracker dogs. 
It only took about an hour before a shallow grave was found. In it was A was a long dead corpse of a man who had clearly been shot in the forehead. Thing was, it was a skeleton that had been there for years and years. So either the argument he heard just ended with a bang and both parties went home last night, or he heard the murder of someone from years ago. I don't really believe the last part, and to be honest, neither does he, but it certainly makes for a creepy ending to the story. But the really scary part for me is that there's every chance that the gunshot he heard that night was yet another murder. And that the body will be found in a similar way, by someone unwary ranger, like some horrible time loop that'll never end. I have a preference for fly fishing where I go after steelhead in Washington. The fish are almost all wild and I usually fish alone. During my four decades of solo hikes and waves, I've had a bunch of weird experiences, two of which I absolutely consider encounters. In 2011 on a river near Mount St. Helens which I know has a storied past as far as sightings. I hiked up the logging road about a mile and a half from my truck intent on wader fishing my way back downstream to what we call the Honey Bowl. As I continue working through this stretch a big rock came flying from behind me and bounced around on the freestone boulders between my spot and a 10-foot high willow about 50 feet away. I froze listening for any sound and watching for any movement. I knew I had the river entirely to myself since it was midweek. It was eerily quiet with no leaves rustling and no birds chirping. I felt that I was being watched as my heart began to race and the hair on my neck stood up. After a few minutes of observation, I decided to get back to my fishing even though the feeling of being watched had not left me. I settled down and got my focus back to the task of finding a steelhead. Ten minutes later, as I reached the midpoint of the ripple, another big rock was thrown from behind the willows, this time crashing into the knee-deep water near where I had been standing only minutes before. The best description I can give of the sound of that splash would be like a shot put dropped from a high dive. I freaked out. First I shot a glance back toward the willows and I didn't see anything. I quickly secured my gear and started moving downstream. On sheer adrenaline, I waded across the river at a spot I normally wouldn't even try, but it was the fastest way back to the logging road. After climbing a steep bank on the other side I literally ran the whole way back to my truck in my wader boots. After tossing my rods and packing the bed of the truck I jumped in started it up and locked the doors. I was thoroughly out of breath and sweating, but feeling safe I then replayed the whole experience in my mind. I remember my conclusions at the time. First, no man could have thrown that rock that far. Second, something or somebody didn't want me there, and even though it or he cost me a couple hours of steelhead fishing time I was fine with that. Third, the primal fear I felt was real. But irrationally, given the circumstances, if it had wanted to hurt me it easily could have. One morning in the spring of 2013 I was hiking solo down a trail in the area of a canyon called Grisdale in Washington. In the old days, I used to be able to drive my truck way down this trail to a creek where I'd park, gear up, and then wade the rest of the way to some sweet steelhead water on the river. Halfway down the trail past the clear cuts and into the old growth the sound of three hard distinct wood-to-wood -wood knocks stopped me in my tracks. 
The knocks were methodically slow and rhythmic and it sounded as if they came from just ahead of me and a few hundred feet off the left side of the trail. I squinted in low light scanning the woods ahead of me in an effort to see any movement. Every muscle in my body tensed up and all my hair stood on end for the next few minutes as I started to think about my options. The prevailing thought was to say screw it and continue on down the river because I was jazzed to fish this day and had already done all that work to make it this far. I decided to announce my presence by making some random yells and sounds of my own right before I made it to the creek. Some 50 minutes later I again heard loud knocks of wood only this time there were only two and they came from slightly behind me and on the opposite side of the trail. I thought there was either something following me or there was more than one. I felt safer once I made it to a clearing, a huge gravel bar along the river. Those two instances were the only times when I knew a Bigfoot was in my presence. When I was young, each house I lived in, four houses, I saw a grayish creature, that had incredibly long, curved and pointed shoulder blades. It walked on all fours and only appeared in a glimpse. Every time I saw it was through a window, but it ran past it fast. It always ran towards a tree line. This was in Illinois, since leaving the state I haven't seen it since. The longest look I got was 10 seconds. I never saw the face. Does anyone know of something like this? This happened in October 2004 while elk hunting the White River National Forest in northwest Colorado. This area contains the largest migrating elk herd in North America. I'm not a Colorado resident but traveled to hunt elk. I made my camp high up to get closer to the Elk River, weather permitting. I could wake up early and get to the meadow before sunrise. I woke up the next morning and was off to my spot. I arrived about 20 minutes before sunrise and was very still. I could make out the shapes of elk in the middle of the meadow about 5 to 600 yards away from me. The herd was mostly cows that I could see and numbered at least a hundred. I slowly got my gear ready just in case the herd got closer. I laid my rifle down alongside me. It was amazing to observe elk in the wild. As I scanned the herd I noticed how tight together they were and then something occurred to me. This herd wasn't grazing, but they all seemed to be staring at one of the two large cows. The whole herd would shift its position as if on command from the lead cow elk. I scanned the edge to see if I could locate any blaze orange. Could it be other hunters I thought? I didn't see anything. Maybe they were well hidden, but the wind wasn't in their favor and I thought a black bear or even a mountain lion might be stalking the herd. That was a good 100 to 200 yards away from any cover to the edge of the elk herd. The lead cow would make small position changes and the whole herd would move in unison but stay mostly in the middle of the meadow. Then I thought maybe some big bulls are following the herd, but the rut was over. I kept glassing the whole time looking for any sign. By this time the sun had risen and while there was still a nice chill in the air it was warming up. I wondered how long this herd would stay in the open. After about 30 minutes something caught my attention about 200 yards away. 
I saw through my binoculars two very large dark figures crawl out of the tree line towards a patch of three tall evergreen trees in front of me. What amazed me was the speed at which these two animals these two shapes moved. They covered the open ground and stopped, they were crawling like army soldiers. They crawled with such efficiency and speed that is hard to decipher what they could have been. They definitely weren't black bears as the size was too big. They didn't notice me as I still had the wind in my face I had a good cover and I didn't move. I had on camo except for my blaze orange vest. I take my orange hat off and I put on a warmer black stocking cap. I was in an elevated position and this allowed me to watch their every move. I observed these two things lift their heads up from a flat laying position in the grass and peek towards the herd of elk. I got momentary glimpses of them. As they did this my mind couldn't process what I was seeing. What were they, I kept thinking to myself. I shifted my binoculars towards the elk herd which was still making small position changes while concentrating on something on the opposite side of me. After an hour of no movement, the elk had started to spread out a little, with the exception of the lead cow. She stood and watched the tree line. She would dip her head and wag her tail. Her ears were up the whole time, keeping alert. Whatever I saw earlier I think was still over by the tree. I wanted to bring my rifle up to try to zoom in on the scope but I feared moving. Just as I thought about finally doing so I heard a couple of chirps like birds make. Then I heard another chirping sound from the area where I saw these two things. That made one of these things get up and move parallel to the herd of elk. Once again this thing moved at such great speed and efficiency. It didn't crawl but this time ran in a squatted position. It took up a position about 100 yards away from the other one and I lost sight of it. It was now above the elk herd while the other one was below it. I then started to figure out that whatever this was on the other side of the meadow was trying to drive the herd toward my side. Again I heard the sound of birds chirping and I waited. The next movement I detected I would grab my rifle which is behind me. My heart was pounding so hard that I'm surprised they didn't hear it. I wasn't afraid of what I saw but I was afraid of being detected. I just couldn't process what I was witnessing and I thought because of my inexperience hunting in the west I didn't know what I was seeing. I shifted my focus toward the herd which was still slowly moving around. Again, more chirping sounds came from across the meadow from me. This caused the lead cow elk to switch positions to the opposite side of the herd. Then, as if directed by the lead cow, they took off straight up the meadow away from me. The whole time they didn't get close to the edge of the meadow. I quickly reached down, grabbed my rifle, and shouldered it. I scanned the area for movement from the two that I saw. Again I heard the chirping sounds. The one closest to me slowly rose up using the trees as cover. It was on two feet bent over at the waist peeking out between the tree branches. I aimed the scope on this thing and increased the power. I could definitely see it was no bear. It was not a man. It was a Bigfoot. It was at least 8 to 9 feet tall. It had to weigh 800 pounds. Its shoulders were wide with a cover of matted hair. I would describe it as a buffalo standing on 2 feet minus the horns. It was black in color with a large head compared to the other one. It appeared to be larger in size. It never turned toward me. 
I scanned up and down looking at this thing through my rifle scope. The longer I looked the calmer I became. I even thought about how calm I was. If I wanted to shoot this thing I'd have no problem holding my rifle steady. My next thought was to try and get my camera which is in my pack. I switched my attention to see what the elk herd was doing. They had stopped and they were again in a tight bunch. They all were looking at the edge of the meadow opposite me. They started to slowly move toward me. By now it's 11 AM. That's late. It was still chilly, maybe in the 40s. I forget the elk would have wanted to move into the dark timber but they stayed in the middle of the meadow. The Bigfoot had lowered itself back down and was now laying alongside the clump of trees. I started to feel a small chill in the back of my neck and was thinking the wind was changing slightly. I could see clouds off in the distance and the weather had called for snow. This whole time I never thought about food, water, or even taking a piss. I was so locked in on what I was seeing and time seemed to fly by. I still wanted to get my camera but didn't want to risk moving. Finally, I slowly set my rifle down next to me and slid my pack out. Just then I heard the whistling, but this time in rapid succession and from more than one position. I think I was busted. I froze and saw the Bigfoot ahead of me get up and turn heading toward the tree line. It never turned in my direction. Once again low to the ground. It moved incredibly fast as if it were floating on air. I moved into the timber. Then I felt fear as I thought how am I going to get back to my tent? I had to walk through the timber. Would these things be waiting for me? I finally got up and glassed the whole area looking for any signs of what I saw. I made it very slowly back to my tent. I got my things together and moved my camp down alongside the creek I made a small fire and stayed alert during the night. I was emotionally drained and decided to call off my hunt. I packed up and made my way out of the wilderness. I just got back from a week-long trip to Florida. My fiancé and I were visiting her parents who own a home in Boca Raton. And I was hoping to get a fishing trip in with her father Jim while I was there. The Everglades aren't too far from where they live and her dad owned a small boat. And since he's retired, he spends a good deal of time taking it out on some of the local lakes. I ran the idea of fishing the glades past him and he seemed to be just as excited as me. Despite being in the vicinity he had actually never fished it. Well a few days after we got there, we made arrangements and set out early in the morning. Towing his boat behind us. It wasn't one of the boats from the movies, you know with the big fans, it was a nice little 14-foot tracker which was perfect for the narrow waterways. We're both kind of anti-technology YouTube videos and computer solitaire is the extent of our interest. Select fools neither one of us brought a satellite GPS and we both left our phones in the truck. Anyway, we got to the glades and got the boat in the water around 9. We planned to fish around 2 and then head back home and be there in time for dinner. We hadn't planned on getting lost. It was a blast at first. We saw a few alligators which I'd never seen in the wild. We stopped to fish a few times and even caught a few largemouths each. I guess around 1 PM when we figured we should start heading back in the direction we came. We were both adept at navigation and kept aware of when and where we had turned but it didn't really help. 
We had seriously underestimated the labyrinth of channels and canals and it didn't take us long to realize that we'd gotten lost in the maze of the Everglades. We weren't panicking yet. But by this time it was well past 2 p.m. and we couldn't tell if we'd made any progress or not. We had just come around the turn of yet another channel, when I saw something bizarre. Some, thing that had been standing along one of the banks dove into the water just as we made the turn. I only caught a glimpse of it, but it had been standing upright on two legs and had a green scaly complexion. I convinced myself that it was just an alligator and maybe the sun had caught it at a weird angle. Besides, we had bigger problems. The sun was getting low in the sky and we hadn't seen a single other person. We didn't have much water and we were still completely lost. I really regret thinking I was macho enough to not need a GPS. A few canals later I happened to turn around and caught sight of something in the water right behind the boat. It looked like an alligator but it was moving way too fast and it was speeding directly towards me. I was in the back on the motor and I gunned the throttle and surprised response. A bunch of things happened at once. Not expecting the sudden shift in speed, my soon-to-be father-in-law fell back against the side of the boat and tumbled into the water. At the same time the creature that had been tailing us rose out of the water and lashed out toward me with a set of razor-sharp claws. When I say rose, I mean stood up on two legs like a human would. Gunning the engine is probably what saved me as the swipe fell short. I burst forward a few feet and got a good look at this thing. The water was around 5 feet deep there, and this thing was standing up the water line around its waist. It had a pair of thickly muscled arms each sporting one of those clawed fists that had almost decapitated me. Greenish-black scales ran the length of it and then terminated in a flat head. Jaw open, bearing two rows of serrated teeth. I saw Jim hit the water and immediately start splashing around. I knew he could swim, but being launched from a boat into alligator-infested waters is probably the kind of thing to cause you to panic. The only problem, was that this thing was between me and Jim. I couldn't leave him and I couldn't get around this thing there was no room. I'm not saying I'm brave because I certainly didn't feel courageous in the moment. But I turned the boat around quickly. Twisted the throttle as far as I could and charge. The bow of the boat lifted into the air. I couldn't see past it but I felt an impact and the boat shuddered almost tipping to the left. I let go of the throttle and pulled alongside the frantic Jim and grabbed his arm. I started hauling him in and looked back over my shoulder. The wake from the short burst was lapping against both sides of the channel, and thick rings of water flowing away from where I guessed the creature had been. It was nowhere in sight. I brought Jim into the boat and not too gently threw him to the deck. Plopped back down next to the motor, and sped away up the channel. We didn't see the creature again. After a few hours we eventually ran into a group of guys who led us back to the boat ramp. We were only about 20 minutes away and had pretty much been going in circles the whole time. We each had about a dozen missed calls from our wives. I think Jim was pretty upset with me, but eventually he came around and laughed it off. He had never actually seen the thing and thought I had just overreacted to an alligator. But I know that it wasn't. Alligators don't stand on two feet and they don't attack with their claws. I don't know if it's a species of animal that hasn't been encountered yet or a weird human-alligator hybrid. But whatever it is, it probably shouldn't exist.
1981 my friends lived in a very rural cabin near Baxter State Park, Maine. The road was only traveled by the residents. You could drive on it and not expect to see any other cars. I was driving up there one night. As I went around the last bend before reaching the cabin an eight-foot-tall Sasquatch was standing on the side of the road. It was massive. It had to be four feet across the shoulders with brownish-blonde hair. I then noticed that it was a male. His skin was dark. The face had a long beard and looked both ape-like and human-like. He stood there motionless, looking at me. I was freaked out when my headlights were on him and we actually made contact. He was not 20 feet from me. I sped past and then into my friend's driveway. I ran into the cabin screaming that I had seen a huge Sasquatch. A few years later I bought a small property near Mount Blue State Park, Maine. One winter, a friend was visiting from Utah. My boyfriend and his friends went out on the snowmobiles at night. Later, we were inside the cabin and started hearing these bizarre growls, like no noise I'd ever heard before or since. The growls got louder and louder and then whatever this was started screaming, literally shaking the cabin. It was right outside. I ran toward the door and placed a board barricade through the loop. As soon as I did that something was pulling and shaking the door on the other side. Each time we changed our position in the cabin that part of the cabin would be attacked. We were terrified. My boyfriend had brought a pistol, so I grabbed it. We climbed the ladder to the bedroom. Whatever that thing was landed on the roof above us. Its screams were the scariest things you have ever heard and they're impossible to repeat. Just as we thought our lives were over, we could hear the snowmobiles coming back. Whatever that thing was finally ran off. We told the guys what had happened and they went out to look for tracks. At first, they thought we were crazy until they saw a huge unknown prints with long claw marks in the snow. There were deep scratches on the window frames and outside walls. My boyfriend was an experienced hunter. He couldn't explain the prints or the deep claw marks. I soon moved out west to California. There is no way I was staying in that cabin, let alone in Maine. I've been wanting to share these experiences for many years but didn't know what forum or platform would be appropriate. Talking about what I've seen fills me with a cold dread that is difficult to describe. I live in Duluth, Montana. I have lived on the shore of Lake Superior for my entire life. I was born in 88 and grew up in Superior, Wisconsin. Having said that, it's no secret that there are many supernatural creatures and happenings that locals attest to. And they can seem far-fetched. So many people I know and trust have first-hand experiences of encounters with what a lot of people would call skinwalkers, wendigos, chupacabras, aliens. The smiley face killer haunts this area too but that is a human, or many, depending on the theory. It sounds like bullshit and maybe it is. But this is my story, what I experienced, and is 100% real. If you've never been to Duluth, it's important for you to understand its topography. It's on average about 2 miles wide, and 18 miles long. It sits along the arrowhead of Lake Superior, and shares a river border, St. Louis, with Wisconsin. Duluth is comprised of over a dozen neighborhoods. 
As the city began to develop different groups of settlers clustered in spots along the bay for different reasons. The furthest western point of Duluth is an area called the Fond du Lac neighborhood, not to be confused with the Fond du Lac reservation which is nearby slash south. It is an area rich with bloody history, the resting place and former village site of people indigenous to this area, the Ojibwe. The easternmost side of Duluth is the lakeside neighborhood. More later. I'm getting tired giving this context already. I swear it's important to my story. Part 2. Okay, getting back into it. From west to east, all the neighborhood clusters are joined by basically one main road. Out west, it's Grand Avenue. As you travel further east, Grand turns into slash intersects with West 3rd Street and Superior Street. Oh, I forgot to mention too that Duluth is a city on a hill. When I say it's two miles wide, I mean that from the shore of the St. Louis River slash Lake Superior shoreline to the top of the hill is two miles wide. From the western point to the eastern point, it's about 18 miles long. About three quarters up the hill, a road called Skyline runs the same route as Grand Avenue, 3rd and Superior. Street. Downtown Duluth is a mixture of poor residential areas, businesses and hospital districts. East Duluth generally is the wealthier side of town. West Duluth neighborhoods were historically poor. People of color were segregated to a western neighborhood called Morgan Park. Beyond the Morgan Park neighborhood is the Gary and New Duluth neighborhoods, before you get to Fond du Lac. In that part of the city, there is a bridge commonly referred to as the Oliver or Gary Bridge. It connects Wisconsin to Duluth and goes over a narrow bay-slash-St. Louis River. There is a famous and sad legend about one of the islands in the middle of the bay, called Spirit Island. That is a story for another day I guess. On the far side of the Oliver Bridge is a boat landing. Beyond the boat landing is an overlook that looks on a small part of the bay and there is a small island about 200 yards from the overlook. I'm describing this in detail because as I grew up, these areas are where I experienced all of the supernatural sightings. So to reiterate, starting at Morgan Park, traveling west next is Gary slash New Duluth. After that is the Oliver Bridge, then the boat landing, then the overlook, then the road continues on to the Fond du Lac neighborhood. When I was about 13 or 14, I was with my sister, I'm using first initials for everyone. T and her friends, let's call them A, C, D. A was driving, T was in the front seat, I was in the middle back between D and C they were all a few years older than me. We were cruising around smoking weed and listening to music. We started out in East Duluth and cruised all the way west to the Overlook because it was usually totally empty and it's a beautiful sight. I think it's important to note that we were smoking weed and a lot of people trip out when they are high. Trust me, I have circled back to this a million times as a way to make what we experience logical. However, we all recall the same, specific details years later after never speaking of it. It scared us all. I honestly convinced myself I imagined the whole thing. But 10 or 11 years later I saw A on Facebook tag my stepsister in a post where she wrote about that night. 
DNT commented on the post with other details I had disclosed to absolutely no one. Turns out all of us had not told anyone. My stepsister and I never even talked about it after that night so we are sitting there in the car laughing and talking. One of us noticed, I think it was C or D, a single light hovering over the island. There was no reflection on the water. It looked really low to the ground. The others and I were looking at it, saying stuff like what is that, joking it was a UFO. It started to pulsate at that point. We started to get a little freaked out. It was absolutely silent, no frogs making noise in the marsh, no crickets or loons. No noise at all. We started telling A that we should leave. I felt a buzzing sensation. The light looked bigger to me. A couple of us wanted to figure out what it was. A didn't drive away yet. C started teasing us who were scared. A drove closer to the edge of the overlook to freak us out. At that point, the light shot off the island straight at our car. A put the car in gear and peeled out of that lot. We got back on grand and to our horror the light went over our car and was following us above the tree line on the driver's side of the car as we speeded east down grand. No matter if we were in a dark area or in a bright area the light glowed in a way that gave off no reflection and didn't illuminate anything around it. It varied in speeds. At times it would slow down, and lag behind us, then it would shoot ahead fast and we would lose sight of it for a second all the while, we shared the sense that it was just messing with us. Like how it feels when someone prank calls you or jumps out to scare you. Not a malicious feeling, but not a nice one either. We got downtown and no longer saw the light. After that we all got dropped off at our respective homes and that was that. As I write this, I am realizing this particular story is about a UFO sighting and not a cryptid. I am including it though because it was the first weird thing that happened to me in that part of Duluth. That bay turned out to be a hotbed of weird sightings as I grew up. The next segment of my story, I'll talk about the creature I saw on the road you take to the Oliver Bridge which is about a half mile as the crow flies from the overlook. I was with my boyfriend at the time, and our friend G. We were driving back to Superior via the Oliver Bridge after a hike at Ely Peak. It was probably midnight. We were driving about 20 miles an hour, when we nearly hit something that came out of the marsh on TH passenger side of the car. It bounced slash rolled over the hood of my car, my boyfriend was driving, and it was a humanoid, bipedal creature. We came to a screeching stop and at that point it was right outside the driver's side window. It looked right at me. I was in the back seat on the driver's side. Its face looked like it was wax melting. It had long arms and wide legs, its posture was hunched forward. It looked at us, moved forward and we all screamed. It was an icy feeling of terror it physically hit us as an electrical shock feeling. It was obvious that it hated us and meant to do us harm. My boyfriend drove 50 miles an hour to get us home. I was 17 at that time. The three of us agreed not to speak of it, it was so scary. Again, we brought it up years later and had all hoped it was a dream or something. We call it the Dupacabra.
So this is dated June 2017 at White Rocks, Pennsylvania, where we're at. Night camping near the edge of a rock face called Brown Rock. During the night, while I had my small campfire, I keep feeling like I'm being watched. We could never see anything. About 30 yards from where my hammock was set up there was a nice flat spot. Half an hour after putting out my fire leaves were brushed about and there were branch snaps for about 15 minutes. It ended with a loud grunt slash roar and it took off at full speed through the woods. Then it let out the sound two more times, like a small grunt and a roar. It was fast. It was a little after midnight and the footfalls were very heavy. So not like a little raccoon or something. It left for about 10 minutes only to return and repeat the same actions as before for about 10 to 15 minutes. Then it was gone, I never heard it come back or leave. Last Saturday, the 17th of December at around midnight on Industrial Road near where I live in Moria, Pennsylvania. My sister and son were driving back from dinner and shopping. They both saw a jet black upright wolf-like creature the size of an outhouse, eight feet tall, run across the road in front of them. My son said the moon was bright and three inches of snow were on the ground. He said it looked human-like. He also states that it moved extremely fast as it ran across the road in front of them. This is a road located about one mile from Frackville, Pennsylvania, and nearly two miles from Moria, Pennsylvania. My son said that it howled. Thought you should know. My infant daughter and I had driven up north from Kamloops, British Columbia for the day to visit my mother. We had gone out to dinner, and my baby girl fell asleep in the middle. We put her in the carrier and covered her with a new pink blanket. When dinner was over we said our goodbyes. Away we went. It was about 10 p.m. by the time we got on the road and we had a good two-hour drive ahead. I was glad that the next day was a Sunday and I would be able to catch up on some sleep. I played music quietly to keep me alert and it worked for the first hour and a half of my drive but at about 11.30 p.m. something else happened that made me more alert than I've ever been in my entire life. It was very dark and the lights along this rural road were spaced out pretty far so my headlights were the only lights I could rely on. But as I turned along a slow curve I saw something ahead. On the right side of the road was a creek and in order to make sure there were no incidents with people driving into the gully a guard rail was in place. It had cement blocks attached every so often that held the lights in place. As my high beam stretched brightly into the darkness I saw something on the cement block up ahead. I squinted to make out the dark silhouette. Just then the figure leapt from the cement block and flew through the air. It landed solidly on the road directly in my path. I watched as it slowly began to stand up tall and raise its arms over its head. I saw the muscular thing stretch until it had shown its full height. About two and a half meters tall. Its furry arms were wide. They waved wildly in the air and as I approached my car I could see its muscular build. At first, when it was still on the side of the road I thought it was a black bear trying to hunt since deer are prevalent in this area. But as it stood there I could see the human-like qualities of its limbs and face. It looked like a giant. A very hairy, ugly, naked man. 
Then it did something completely unexpected. It crouched down and I thought it was going to jump back into the forest that surrounded us. But instead, it laid down stretching its full body across the lane. It was too late for me to stop or swerve. I hit him slash whatever it was. I hit it with my Honda Accord. I had expected there to be a huge crunching sound and my thoughts immediately went to my sleeping baby. Would we get hurt? Would our car be drivable? I didn't want us to be stranded. But to my surprise, we rolled over it pretty easily. There was a thumping sensation and I knew that the position of my car had made me run over its head. I felt sick thinking I could have killed someone or some poor creature. But the image of it standing in the road made me uneasy enough to assault my guilt. I stopped the car for a moment. When we had gone about 100 meters or so I looked in my rearview mirror to see it laying there still, illuminated by my brake lights. It wasn't moving. Panic, fear, and concern flooded me in a mix of waves of emotion. I thought about getting out of the car but I worried that maybe it was still alive and angry. I couldn't risk getting hurt, not with my baby in the car. That's when I made the decision that still haunts me. I floored the accelerator and I didn't stop until I got home. When we finally pulled into my driveway I felt safe. I immediately grabbed the carrier with my baby and I went inside. After putting her into her crib I paced the house. The rest of my family was out of town and unreachable by phone. I had no idea what to do. After worrying and pacing I finally decided to call the provincial police. I knew that no one would take my call seriously if I said it was a Sasquatch. After the call, I went out to check the damage to the car. I feared the worst. I really thought that I would have to explain the unexplainable to the mechanic. But the damage was minimal. Only the license plate was bent and on one of the bolts, I had found hairs from the creature. I thought about keeping it but reasoned that it was crazy and threw it out. No one would believe me. I called the police the next day to check and found that there was no record of my call and nothing suspicious was reported along any of the country roads. When my family returned I told them the story. Of course, they thought I was making it up. After a while, I stopped talking about it. My family still makes fun of me, but I've learned not to respond. But I know what really happened that night and I know it's still out there. It was late in the fall. I was bored and decided to go fishing. I was 15 years old at the time. I grabbed my rod and my tackle box and started down the trail to a small pond. It was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon and a quarter mile down the trail it came across one footprint, only one. I thought it was odd that someone this time of year would be walking barefoot. I put my boot in the middle of the foot front and it was bigger than my boot. At that time my shoe size was 10 and a half inches. I continued down the trail to the pond. Just before I reached the pond the bushes got thick on both sides of the trail. It opened to a clearing alongside the pond. After walking through the bushes to the clearing to my right was a deer, a small doe about 125 pounds. It was no more than 6 feet away. It looked at me and I looked at it. Strangely it wasn't scary to me. It just kept staring in the direction I was headed, looking in that direction, and then looking back at me, and then looking back in that direction. 
I looked to see what it was looking at, but there was nothing. She looked at me and turned to the thick bushes behind her and slowly walked into them, then took off quickly like a shot. I walked around the pond over an old tunnel to a beachy area on the other side to fish. I made about two casts with a spinner when a large rock hit the water above the path that I took to the pond. There was an old trolley trail that went over the tunnel. The hill was covered in trees and you could barely see the old trail. I thought it was just some kids messing around so I yelled, I'm trying to fish. That's when all hell broke loose. Several large rocks all started to hit the water at the same time and this kept going for several seconds and I mean absurdly large rocks about 15 to 20 pounds each. When one hit the beach about 10 feet away from where I was standing I turned and grabbed my tackle box and ran. I didn't even reel the pole in all the way. I just ran a quarter of a mile as quickly as I could, found the main road, and walked home. Two weeks before I had been walking home from a friend's house and used the same area as a shortcut to go through. I was on the lower path when I could hear two deep voices. It sounded like two men talking and was coming from the upper path. This was around 10.30 at night and I could not make out the language or what they were saying but both voices were very deep. I got a feeling of dread like I was trespassing, and felt very threatened. I was too scared to look. I just stared three feet in front of me on the trail until I got to a large opening in the trail. It led to an open field that was about 20 acres of land that my backyard butted up against. That's when the feeling and the voices stopped. Then I ran out of there as fast as I could running straight for home. Two years later I was walking down the road through the woods that cut through the back side of that property. It was a warm July night and about 9 o'clock at night I heard large tree limbs snap and hit the ground alongside a stream that led to the pond. There was a slight breeze blowing that night. I told myself it must have been the wind. But then in the same spot, a 20-foot tree started to shake and hit the ground. This tree was alive, fully grown with green leaves. I backed up the road 100 yards so I couldn't see the area anymore. In a moment of horror, I turned and ran like hell until I got home. I've never been back to that area or a pond ever again. In the winter I help ranchers reduce predation on their livestock by trapping coyotes. I run a wide variety of sets, including snares. One night last December I was checking the last of my line and was having trouble finding one of my snares. This meant I had to be sprung, but there was no sights of struggle. Most likely explanation is a deer set it off and broke the breakaway device, getting away. Finally I spotted fur, but it was a small object. My first guess as to what I was looking at was a rabbit caught by mistake, but as I walked up, it wasn't a rabbit. It was a coyote, or rather what was left of it. A decapitated head, still in the snare and three inches of windpipe six to eight feet from the head was all that remained. No chunks of fur, no blood, no struggle, just a head that had been bitten off clean. Unfortunately we had a very open winter last year with little snow, so there was no tracks. This wasn't the only incident either. Over the next couple months, there were 15 to 18 coyotes that were either decapitated or torn in two, with half the body carried off. I have been trying to figure out what had done it. 
The prime suspect of local predators is a mountain lion. However, most mountain lion attacks on coyote are very messy, with fur torn everywhere. I'm also not entirely sure a lion with a bite force of roughly 600 pounds could snip a coyote's head off in one bite. The next most likely culprit is a wolf. Wolves kill coyotes on sight, as a get rid of the competition thing. And with a bite for up to 1,500 pounds on the highest end has the power. Also, while officially denied, there are getting to be more and more wolves in this region. But again, wolves killing a coyote is pure carnage, not near as clean as what I saw most the time. Also, why carry the body off? These predators would either eat it right there or just kill it and leave it lay. I'm not saying this was Silas, but it is a mystery I've been contemplating for months now and when I first heard Op's story, well when he said Nebraska he had my curiosity, when he said Cherry County he had my attention. We had a conversation and learned his sighting was roughly 50 miles from the first incident. However this happened all over the territory. Maybe it was just a wolf or lion, or maybe something else. I will make another post with photos of some of the coyotes that were killed. This happened back in either 2000 or 2001. I can't really remember which but it was around there so quite a while ago. I have a group of friends that loves the outdoors and loves to explore different areas around the country. We've been all over from east coast to west, north, and south. It's been a lot of fun over the years. I prefer the north as I'm not a fan of being hot and sweaty, but we vote on where we're going next. So we got the group together and half chose to go to Big Cypress National Preserve in Florida. I wanted to go to Alaska but it was only me and my buddy John who chose Alaska unfortunately. I agreed on Florida on the condition we didn't go in the summer, which was debated for about an hour over lunch. Finally I convinced enough of my friends that it was a good idea. We compromised on going in September, where it's still warm but not excruciatingly hot like in the middle of summer. We planned on hiking, biking, canoeing and staying at multiple campsites throughout the park. We'd even planned to try some of the primitive sites without all the modern creature comforts. We decided we'd check out Everglades National Park as well since it's right next door to Big Cypress. We drove east down the main road called the Tamiami Trail to the scenic route that brought us to the Concho Billy Trail. Finally we get to the trail park the cars and get our bikes out. We all took pictures of the green Concho Trail sign. And that's when we first smelled something rank, kind of skunk-like. That's not unusual though out in nature and we set out on the trail. The smell passed pretty quickly, about 10 minutes into our ride. We stopped again after about a mile and heard this loud call from the trees. It was low. Almost a rumble but it carried. We all just looked at each other and put our fingers up to our lips. I know there's no mountain lions in the park, but I wasn't sure if there was a bear or not. Twice we heard it call out and my friend Annie even recorded it on her phone. We waited after the second call about 20 minutes, then we got back on our bikes and took off. We traveled barely half a mile more when we heard the call again. We stopped to listen and then we smelled an awful rank smell again. This time it was like a mix of skunk and strong urine. That's the best I can describe it. 
The calls seemed farther out than we'd heard before, but the smell seemed to just permeate the entire area. It was incredibly strong. And he decided to record the sounds again with her phone. We stayed there maybe 10 minutes and something crashed in the trees off to our right. Maybe 30 feet away from us. We didn't stay to see what it was. We got on our bikes and we hauled as fast as we could back to the cars. I don't know what it was. We got back in the cars and took off back to camp. We were all laughing at each other and kind of freaking out together. We got back to camp and we told our story to a few people, even played the recordings. No one knew what it was, but we did learn that there is indeed black bear that live in the preserve. What we heard wasn't a bear though. And that smell seemed to show up with the calls. We've had odd encounters before in our travels but this one, this one takes the cake. To this day no one knows what we heard. We've played the calls to many people, even some animal people, you know hunters and some rangers we've met in our travels. No one can identify the calls. It's really strange. It was light on its feet. Walked on all fours. As big as a deer, no fur with a weird tan white skin color. Arched back and a smooth round head. My friend leveled two rounds of birdshot at it once it was moving towards us. It stopped after the shots for a couple minutes for us to start running. But it started up a few again around us after a few minutes. Someone explained what me and my friend saw in the woods. I am home now and we sprinted four miles straight. Back in the 80s, my family would go to Geneva on the lake in Ohio, Lake Erie, to stay at a cabin every summer. One time, I was out past the rock pier things playing on an inner tube, and I saw what looked like a head from the mouth up about 20 yards farther out. I knew I was the only kid out there at the time. So I was really confused about who it could have been. I watched it for maybe half a minute, then looked back at the beach to see who it might be, but everyone was still on the beach. When I turned around it was gone. Thought maybe it was a log, but I spent the rest of the day watching because it scared me a lot but nothing else surfaced. It's one of those childhood memories that was so profound that when I think about it, I feel like I'm back in that moment. If you can forward this to him that would be great. I've only told one other person about this because who would believe such a thing? In a series of correspondence provided to the society by Watson, John Cola described the head as dark, hairless, and human-sized. I want to say people, but is that really a thing? He asked Watson. Watson responded, people actually are a thing. I have a chapter on them in Canadian Monsters and Mysteries. I found several Canadian stories related to them in my research, both at sea and in the lakes of Canada. First Nations people in some areas seem to refer to them as the gods of bodies of water and they are associated with storms and other rough water events if antagonized. We had traveled up near the Canadian border in St. Louis County, Minnesota a few summers ago. We rented a cabin off the grid in the middle of nowhere. Our son is severely disabled and while he's non-verbal he definitely isn't quiet. He makes very loud sounds. Guttural shrieks and whoops. 
This particular spot takes about an hour off-road to get to. It's near logging roads but there are no people. Very rugged roads. The cabin is on 320 acres of lake and surrounded by well over 40 acres of forest. It's just us there. Plenty more acres but that is just the acreage around the cabin. That night my son was standing on the deck. It's on the second level of the cabin. He was jumping and bashing and howling. The pounding of his jumping on the deck was reverberating throughout the forest. This was something we would usually worry about but not here. It felt great not to have to worry. This is the very reason we are here. No one to judge us or get upset by our sounds. Off to the west, we began hearing something. It sounded as if it was mimicking my son. Just didn't feel real at first. It was a no way this is happening moment. It mimicked him unbelievably well. It was loud and sounded as though it had the lung capacity of 20 men. It was definitely an animal. It didn't sound angry at all or menacing. It was just a strong mimicking sound. I don't really know how to explain it. We went inside and did our best to ignore it. I felt the entire rest of the trip as if we very e being watched. I couldn't shake that feeling. It was the most uncomfortable I've ever felt in my life. I cannot explain it. Just thinking about it now makes me uncomfortable. There were other very odd things that occurred that week but I don't really feel comfortable sharing. Almost supernatural. I know that sounds silly. Smoke alarms going off at night, etc. just weird things. We ended up going back the next summer as we didn't let on to our other son who was asleep at the time that anything had occurred. We have had no incidents like that again. No feeling of being watched and nothing uncomfortable but that incident, that week, will always stay with me. The first encounter with whatever this thing is was when I was running on a trail in the woods behind my elementary school. I got halfway through when I heard a UFO-esque warble. Something I've never heard before. I looked up in the tree I heard it come from and saw something that looked like a mix between what could have been a monkey and a bird. It had the body of a monkey or some mammal, four limbs and brown fur, and the head of a bird, bird-shaped head with beak and feathers. Also after I spotted it, and it ran off quickly, for the rest of the time I was on the trail, stuff kept falling around me. Like branches and acorns. And this didn't happen until I spotted it. I thought I was hallucinating after encountering it but later that month I was on a different trail, behind my high school this time, when I encountered it again. I was going through the trail when I started to hear wolves howling, which is weird because wolves don't live in my area to my knowledge. At that point I started to pick up the pace because I don't want to be eaten. Eventually I hear shit moving in the trees and at one point I spot the damn bird monkey again. After that the howling got closer and stuff started to fall around me again. I'm usually calm but I started to get a little nervous. Eventually I get to the end of the trail and that's when I hear what sounds like a dog whimpering in a nearby bush. Shit's still dropping around me and the howling is getting closer but I stopped because it could be a dog in distress. I eventually left it without checking though because with everything going on it probably wasn't a dog. I don't know if the howling and dog were connected but I added it anyway as it all happened in the same encounter.
I have no clue what bird monkey thing it is or its name but any help would be appreciated. I will add that the woods behind my high school and elementary school are very haunted. I've done a ton of ghost hunting at night and every time I see slash hear shit. I can always put my other ghost slash cryptid stories up if wanted.